0: Good morning to you all. If you have your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 15. Now today we are in John chapter 15. We will be reading from verses 18 through 27. And as some of you know, we have slowly but surely, very slowly but surely, been working our way through the Gospel of John. We've been in the Gospel of John for clear over a year now. And some of you may be asking, why are we taking our time going through a book of the Bible? Well, you see so much more when you drive slow. So today we read John chapter 15, and we'll go from 18 through 27. And this is our relationship to the world. If the cosmos, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of this world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of this world, because of this, the world hates you. But remember, the word that I have said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they would persecute you. If they kept my word, they would keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me, my father. Verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also if I had not done among them the works which no one else has done They would not have sin But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well verse 25 But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law from psalm 69 verse 4 They hated me without cause But do not worry For the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, and he will testify about me, and you will be my witnesses, and you will testify also, because you have been with me from the beginning. Amen. Well, good morning again. Thank you for being here today. Uh, Today I titled my sermon, Relating to the World. Relating to the World. Uh, but, the, but the reverse of that might be a bit more accurate for this passage. Maybe the title of my sermon should be The World's Relationship to Us, The World's Relationship to Christians. And the outcome of this sermon is I hope that you we would be bold living lives that testify of Christ. That we would be bold living lives that testify of Christ. But friends, listen to me. There is one thing that is preventing us from really living lives that are bold for Christ. I want you to think about something real quick with me. As um, as human beings, as we are all human beings. We're not cyborgs or robots here. So we as human beings, as people, we care a lot about what other people think. Can I get an amen to that one? We care a lot about what other people think. As Dave Ramsey says, he says, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. We care a lot about what the opinions of others are. And then I want you to think about all the different ways that we show that we care what other people think, of how the opinions of others actually shape our lives. The opinions of others determine probably what we wear, what car we drive, and what house we buy. The opinions of others determine the way we talk. Imagine we talk some ways at certain places like church and then different ways at other places. When I was at, when I was a sophomore at Grissom High School, are there any other Grissom grads in the room? Grissom High School? Okay, all right. So, got a couple in here. That was a really gross school. With 2,000 kids for like 40 years in that place. Anyways, uh, when I was a sophomore at Grissom High School, I cared a lot about what other people thought of me. And as I think back as a much older, not much older, but older man these days, I think about all the different ways that the opinions of others really shaped my life at 16 years old. In high school, the opinions of others dictated who I talked to and who I couldn't talk to. It dictated what I wore. The wardrobe that I particularly purchased, now this is 20 years ago before I followed Jesus, okay, so don't judge me on this. My wardrobe was filled with clothes from (laughs) Abercrombie and Fitch back in the day. That's all I bought. In high school, the opinions of others dictated what car I drove. My very first car looked awesome, but it was a hunk of junk. It was a 1991 blue Dodge Daytona hatchback. The opinions of others dictated how I treated my father. My dad, before I got my first car, would roll up in this uh, busted 12-passenger van that made a lot of noise, with dents in the side, he would drive up in front of, I felt like, the, the whole Grissom high school, and he would drop me off, and what did I do as a 16-year-old kid? I ran away from the car as quickly as humanly possible to make sure as little people saw me as possible. At 16 years old, the opinions of others caused me to walk about 10 feet in front of my dad at the grocery store. Anybody relate to that one? just so I wouldn't be seen with my father. We care a lot what other people think. Let me just say this. As Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ, as those who have placed their faith in him, as those that have been redeemed, who have been born again, listen, we care way too much about what other people think. Caring what other people think leads us as Christians to be a bit flimsy sometimes, to hide our faith, to shrink from sharing Jesus. I mean, I think about it, even myself, when I share the gospel one-on-one, what is, what is your experience like that in? So right before you share the gospel, that there's this little spark of fear. Why do we have that fear? Because we care what the other person thinks, And if you think about it, carrying the the opinions of other people infiltrates every area of our Christian lives. As Christians, we act, we buy, we say certain things to cause certain lost people in the world to look at us in a particular way. But as I look at John chapter 15, verse 18 through 27, the opinions of the world towards us are already determined. That the scripture is clear what the world already thinks of us. That their inability to understand and embrace spiritual things causes them to look at us differently. We can't help it. That no matter what we do, you can appear a certain way, but if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, the opinion of the world towards you is already set. So what is the opinion of the world towards us? If you notice in your text that what the world sees us as is in John chapter 15, verses 18 through 25, and then how we should respond to their opinion is found in verses 26 through 27. So if you haven't turned already, turn to John chapter 15. I'm using the New American Standard Version in case you are curious. But as I was uh, studying this passage in John chapter 15, verses 18 through 27, as I read Jesus' speech to the disciples, there was an image that came to my mind. I kind of imagined Jesus being like Nick Saban at halftime. Maybe I just watched football yesterday, I don't know. But I imagine Nick Saban at halftime. Because in John chapter 15, verse 18 through 27, is kind of like Coach Jesus giving his disciples a halftime pep talk. What happens at halftime? What does the coach always do? He, he recaps the first half. He probably yells at them, right? Okay, but we're not going to go there this morning. But what else does he do? A coach sits down with his players and, and tells them what to expect in the second half and then what to do about it. That's what I see here. Jesus tells the disciples what to expect in the second half of their life and then what to do about it. Now, as we enter into the text in John chapter 15, where are we? Let us kind of quickly set the stage in the context of the passage. I do this every week. It's because repetition is theological glue, okay? Where are we in the overall picture of the Gospel of John? The Gospel of John breaks down into three main parts. If you, I've shared this a bazillion times here. Is that even a word? I don't know. But I've shared this a lot of times. The G- Gospel of John breaks down into three main sections. You have eternity past in the prologue. John chapter 1, verse 1, through John chapter 1, verse 18. And then you have three years. John chapter 1, verse 19, through the end of John chapter 12. And then you have three weeks. From John chapter 13 through the end of the book. So that is the overall structure of the gospel of John. And what's the point? What is the point of the gospel of John? Highlight this verse if you haven't already. John chapter 20 verse 31. Everything points to this one conclusion. This is the one thing that John wants us to know. It says this, But these things have been written so that you may believe That Jesus is the Christ, meaning the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The point John is trying to prove throughout the whole gospel of John is John chapter 20, verse 31. He's trying to prove to his audience, he proves to us today that Jesus is not just some teacher, some prophet, some good person. But that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one, coming to fulfill all of the will of the Father from the Old Testament on, and that he is the Son of God, God himself. Everything points towards this one lens in the Gospel of John. And then where are we when we come to John chapter 15? Let's just kind of zoom in on that right now. John chapter 15 is in a section of Scripture called the Upper Room Discourse. And I won't talk about all of that. I've been visiting that over the last couple of weeks, so I won't belabor what the Upper Room Discourse is all about. But I do want to point out to you, in John chapter 15, I didn't notice this, but that's the beautiful part about the Scripture, is that as you study it, more and more things come to your mind. If you notice in John chapter 15, if you look at the three main sections, what are they? Jesus talks about our relationship to God in verses 1 through 11. He talks about our relationship to one another in 12 through 17 and our relationship to the world in verses 18 through 27. And what is our relationship to God? That we are to abide in Christ, then bear the fruit of love. What is our relationship to one another? That we are to love one another as Christ has loved you, becoming friends of God. Philoi. And then this week, he talks about what is our relationship to the world. Now, we haven't even begun yet, so I'm kind of going from this all the way down into our text today. But what I want you to do before we really even dive in specifically to our passage, what I want you to do is I actually want you, want you to look at the text with me. John chapter 15, verses 18 through 27. Now I'm just going to give you a tip real quick Whenever I read the scripture, whenever I'm studying the passage for a sermon or for anything What I do first is I just read the passage from beginning to end very slowly And as I read the passage, like little, uh, like I said last week, little lightning bugs of facts and thoughts Kind of start pinging off in my mind And then what I do is I step back and I just look at the overall structure of the passage How it has been woven together What are the major pieces? If you look at John chapter 15, verse 18 through 27, what do you see? You see six different conditional statements. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. And then again in verse 19, again in verse 22 and 24, you see this word if. But... For the sake of simplicity, the first one is kind of the, the most important one. It's the header statement. It's your introductory statement in a paragraph. And then it is explained by verses 19 through 27. Now, let us begin. Okay, all that just to kind of set the stage. Notice verse 18. You have the first if. That is the main header statement. If. The world hates you, then you know that it has also hated me before it hated you. Now, there is a lot in this one verse, and I'm about to get all uh, TMI on you, too much information. Because there's very something very significant going on in verse 18 that you can't see in English. Verse 18 is in a first-class condition sentence, which is the assumption of truth for the sake of argument. And then the next if statements are the second-class condition, are the assumption of the untruth for the sake of argument. What did I just say? The, verse 18 is a first-class condition. Jesus is assuming it to be true for the sake of argument. And then the rest of the is from the rest of the passage are the assumption of an untruth for the sake of argument. So notice verse 18 again. If the world hates you, He's assuming it to be true, because it will be true. You know that it's hated me before it has hated you. Jesus assumes that they will, that the world will hate them. Why? Because in verse 18, they hated him first. And because the world did and does hate Jesus, the world then will hate his disciples. But is this become true? Does the world really hate the disciples? you got to keep in mind, guys, this is before Jesus is crucified and before he is ascended. This is before the the Spirit of God comes as a permanent dwelling in believers themselves. So at this particular point in time, they could probably argue that the world doesn't hate them at this moment, but it does hate Jesus, and it hates Jesus enough to crucify him on the cross. But what do we know to be true after the day of Pentecost and after Acts chapter 2? We know that every single disciple that followed Jesus suffers persecution. That in Acts chapter 12, James is killed by Herod Agrippa. We know that Stephen, one of the early church members, is stoned to death. And we know that the rest of the disciples, the ten that remain, will be persecuted without end for their faith. In a sense, this is Jesus' halftime speech. He's telling them what they can expect, and then in verses 26-27, what they should do about it. In the second half, after Jesus ascends, the world turns on them, the world puts them in their crosshairs and they suffer great persecution it is easy for us to disconnect but really nothing has changed when it comes to the world verse 18 if the world hates you you know that it has hated me before it has hated you if you do not believe me that the world still has some kind of conflict with christians then allow me just do a science experiment When you go home today, this is what I would like you to do. I would like you to go on Facebook, okay, which is, uh, anyways, I won't talk about that, which is now metaverse, whatever that is, okay. Um, I want you to go on Facebook, and I want you to actually post on Facebook and type up a morality, a, a truth that is according to God's word. Just go on there and type that marriage is between a man and a woman, what is going to happen probably to your Facebook page? You're going to get a laundry list of hate mail, okay? If you do not believe that this is still applicable today, then just go do a science experiment. Let me just, friends, we, we oftentimes as Christians, we want to blend in like camouflage. We want to just be part of the group. But friends, listen to me. We are meant to be different. We are meant to be lights in the world, not lights. Of the world that we are meant to stand out we are meant in a sense to have conflict with the world that's what he says in John chapter 15 verse 18 and let me just say it this way if no one knows that you're a Christian outside of this room then you might not be one because the very essence of being a Christian is different than the world the moment you believe in Jesus Christ, the moment your relationship of status with God changes from hostile to air, the moment you cross over from darkness to light, the moment you believe in Jesus Christ and inherit eternal life, not only does your relationship of status with God change, but it also changes with the world. What is our relationship as Christians to the world? It is an antithetical relationship. It is antithetical. If you have your notes, that is the first blank. Now, this word, if you don't know what that word means, don't feel uh, lonely in that. Um, because I, that word popped into my mind and I really wasn't sure I knew it correctly. So I went to dictionary.com and made sure I'm using that word correctly. Our relationship with the world is antithetical. What does that even mean? Antithetical means that we are direct, directly opposed or contrasted, mutually incompatible. That is our relationship to the world. We, are, we have an antithetical relationship with the world. Let's just be honest here. If you went on Facebook and you actually posted something to do with the scripture that is opposed to the morality and the structure of society, guess what's going to happen? You're going to get blown up. Amen? That's just the way it is. Which tells you what? That we have a different type of relationship with the world. They, let's just, can I just use it in 21st century terms? The world, if we really are honest and we really want to live like lights in the world, the world is going to think we're weird. Right? They're going to think we're, we fell off our rockers. Okay, They're going to think that we're strange. But it should be no surprise. We, we, we hide our faith behind a fear of, of the opinions of other people. But we're already different. We're already lights not in the world but not of the world we're already different the world already has made up their minds towards how they see us so don't hide be bold and let's just be honest the world itself is a bit strange and the world should we should not be concerned when the world thinks we are weird why because their minds have not been renewed they have not been born again the things of god are foolishness to those that do not have Jesus Christ and redemption through him. What does the scripture say? 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14 says this, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they were spiritually apprised. Friends, we are lights in the world, but we are not lights of the world. John chapter 17 verse 15 says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. Our relationship with the world, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, whether you want it to be or not, whether you hide it or not, your relationship to the world is antithetical. It is mutually opposed to one another. We are different, and that's okay. But I want you to look at verse 18 again. I'm going to spend a a lot of time just on this one verse because I want to define a term. We already talked about that as a first-class condition. Jesus assumes it to be true for the sake of argument. But then I want you to notice the word world. We're going to kind of talk about that. Let's kind of define what Jesus means by the world. The, The Greek word for world, say that three times fast, the Greek word for world is the Greek word cosmos. This is where we get the word cosmology, which is a study of the universe. The biblical word for cosmos can either mean the earth or the universe or some of all created beings. It can mean the abode of men, the theater of history, the inhabited earth. But here, in my opinion, Jesus uses the word cosmos in verse 18 to describe everything that is darkened by sin. All those that are darkened by the fall of man who are not redeemed by faith in Jesus Christ. All those that are unredeemed by Jesus Christ will hate Christians. Why? Notice the rest of the text, verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of this world, because of this, the world hates you. These are all reasons why the world cannot, things were weird. Verse 20, remember the word that I have said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Why is our relationship to the world, world antithetical? Reason number one is because they hated Jesus, verse 18. And the reason number two is because we are not of this world, verse 19. That God chose us. Notice that there, the sovereignty of God. We won't talk about that. I'm not going to, y'all can ping me in the hallway about election or free will. But anyways, um... But God chose us out of this world to be different. So the world can't stand us. Things were weird because, of, because we're not of them. So let's reverse that statement. If the world loves you, then, you are not, then you're of this world. If the world loves you, then you're of this world. If you are loved by the world, then you're not of God. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we should expect conflict from the, Lord, from the world. I'm just going to share something real quick. We, this passage seems to be, um, irrelevant. It's irrelevant. Because we live in a free society, okay? That we don't really experience persecution the way they would. But believe it or not, more Christians today are persecuted for their faith than at any other time in history. I saw a stat. That one in eight Christians, 340 million Christians, are persecuted for their faith in just 2020, in just that one year. And over 5,000 people were martyred for their faith, even today. But let's just answer the question, does persecution actually exist? We kind of live in this bubble in America that we don't really have persecution the way the disciples did so does persecution really exist first off around the world a few missions conferences ago i'll just tell you a quick story a few missions conferences ago a missionary i won't say his name just for the sake of confidentiality but a missionary came here to calvary bible church and he shared on a sunday night kind of his story about his ministry he was the director of of a bunch of missionaries to the Middle East region. Okay, this is only like two or three years ago, and he shared on a Sunday night that how in 2004 he had a group of about a hundred missionaries, and then in 2008 he had about fifty missionaries, and then in 2012 he had about twenty missionaries. I thought that was a little weird. I thought maybe some missionaries got burned out and tired. Maybe they came home to relax and they just came off the field. I thought it was a little weird that you go from a hundred missionaries in 2004, eight years later you go to twenty. So the next day, we were at the Botanical Gardens, and I went up to this man, and I said, you know, why? You know, he shared last night, you know, why did did your missionaries go from 100 to 20? He said, because basically radical Islamists in the Middle East found out that these people were Christians. They broke into their homes, killed them, and killed all of their family. Persecution, friends, still exists today. Verse 20, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. But... We live in a free culture. We live in a free, excuse me, free. Okay, I think it's, it's growing, but we're losing that by the day. But moving on, this is not politics time. Okay, but we live in a free culture. So where do we as Americans experience persecution? I asked my wife that very question. She didn't know I was going to bring her up today. So, anyways, I asked my wife, who is my much better half, and I think all of you will agree with that. Uh, I asked my wife this week, "Where do we in America see persecution?" Because the text is clear in verse 20 that if we're not of the world, that we will receive persecution. Where do we see it? And she said, "Piped up." She just said, "Well, first off, in the universities, that any kind of Christian intolerance is criticized. Intolerance, in their mind, we receive persecution on Facebook. Just go post something there and just do a scientific experiment. We see persecution on YouTube." You know, I I used to hate going on YouTube and listening to anything that made fun of Christianity. Or anything that made us look dumb or question our validity. But to be honest, those videos, as I watch them even now, they don't bother me anymore. Why? Because i realize, realized, especially after going through the Gospel of John, i realize realized that the people in the world, that those who make those YouTube videos that criticize us, that think we're crazy because we believe in miracles, that those people, we should not be shocked that they believe this, that we're crazy. But they are the ones living in darkness. They're the ones that do not have the redeemed mind of Jesus Christ. They are not new creations. We should not be surprised when they think that we are nuts. But let's just be honest here. They are the ones that are nuts. Can I get an amen to? They're the ones that are blind to the truth. They think that truth is relative. Truth, the very nature of truth isn't relative. It is objective. The world thinks that there is no God. I mean, that is insanity. Just look around you. They, they are nuts to think, That we, in and of ourselves, have the ability to discern morality. Friends, if mankind has proven anything over its 5,000 or 10,000 year existence, it is that we are completely and totally broken, incapable of morality outside of Christ himself. Let us not fear persecution. Let us not fear those YouTube videos that, that, that are posted that make us look weird. We should expect it. Matter of fact, they are strange. How could anyone believe that there is no God? I mean, have you ever just, this science alone confirms that the nature alone, the very fact that we are here alone, confirms that God exists. Let us not be afraid. We as Christians, we want to blend in, but we must stand out. We as Christians often have more fear of the world than we do a fear of God. We as Christians often care what other people think. But there is really only one opinion that really matters. We have it pretty good right now as Christians in America. We really do. But I see the persecution towards Bible-believing Christians only growing as our culture sails further and further away from the truth. If you live a life that is pleasing to God, the snipers of the world will soon place you in their crosshairs. And Coach Jesus, in John chapter 15, verse 18 through 27, what is he doing? He's telling us to expect persecution. He's telling us to expect that if the world hated him, they will hate us because we are not of this world. Why is our relationship with the world antithetical? Number one, they hated Jesus. Number two, that we are not of this world. Then notice reason number three in verse 21 But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. Why is our relationship the way it is? Because he says in verse 21 that they do not know the Father. But then notice, let's keep going, in verse 22 through 25, why else is our relationship with the world one of mutual incompatibility? If I had not come, verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which, I, which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now... They both see and hate me and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. Notice the all caps here at the end of verse 25. They hated me without cause. That last phrase is from Psalm 69, verse 4. Why else do they reject us and Christ? Reason number four, it says in verse 25, is that it is to fulfill God's will. God allowed hatred, is what he's saying, towards the son and towards us so that his will would be fulfilled, that his perfect son would be hung on a tree to die for the sins of the world. And then reason number five is the reason they reject Christ and us. The reason we have mutual incompatibility is reason number five in verses 22 to 24, that their sin is exposed. If they had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Let me say it this way. The holiness of Christ exposed the blackness of sin. The purity of Christ revealed the depravity of man. The perfection of Christ showed their imperfections and they hated him for it. If if you do not experience conflict with the world for how you live, then maybe we're not living according to what God has planned. Because as you see here, if we live holy lives, then it will reveal the sin of the world to them. That our holiness, our dedication to morality, exposes their sin. Our morals reveal their immorality. Our desire to serve reveals their self-serving. Our love reveals their lack of it. But is that true? If we live moral lives, if we live lives that abide in Christ, in John chapter 15, if we live lives that love one another, if we live lives according to God's word, will it reveal the sin that is in their lives? Will it cause conflict? Let me just share from personal story. Um, I, as most of you know, uh, where I really lost my hair was at Enterprise Rent-A-Car, where I worked there for three and a half years. And it was like every day I lost one more parcel of hair onto the ground from all the stress that that job gave me. I thought I was going to have a heart attack at 23 years old. Okay, but I worked at Enterprise Rent-A-Car for three years. I, I was 22 years old when I started there. I was engaged to my wife, and everybody I worked with was from ages 22 through 35. Okay, so basically everybody I worked with was young, and guess what they talk about? They, this, there is no standard of morality in this place. It is the world. Right, so every Monday morning they would come in, and what would they talk about? They would talk about their escapades from the weekend before. And here I am, this weirdo. Okay, I'm like this guy that really does care about how I live. That I'm a light in the world, but I'm a light of the world. And I remember telling them, this is when I was engaged. I remember just telling them how we wanted to live pure lives, and we wanted to get married just with purity. And they looked at me. I remember it was like this group of us, and they were all talking about their crazy stories. And I just said, yeah, man, I'm, I just want to preserve myself for marriage. And, they, and then they went, they talked to themselves over here. When we live moral lives, when we live according to the scripture, they will think we are strange and guess what happened as a consequence of that conversation? They never talked to me about their weekend escapades ever again, okay? Why? Because they realized that there's something going on with that guy. There's some kind of morality that he has that I don't have. But it was interesting. I'll never forget it, man. There was like this group of like, I don't know, eight to ten people talking about their weekend. And I just said that, and that I wanted to live pure life. And all of them kind of ran for me. But there was this one guy. That came up to me and just shook my hand out of respect for our decision. The world will think we are strange. The world won't understand our resistance to the sin and flesh, and that is okay. The world will think that we are crazy for not embracing sin and the standards of the world, but that is okay. Friends, we are designed, we are purposed to be different. We are purposed to stand out. And when we stand out, we will receive the persecution that is in the world. John chapter or Matthew chapter 5 says this. You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all those who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We are meant to be lights in the world, a city set on the hill. They're meant to look at our good deeds, our moral living, our desire to live according to the scripture. And it meant to stand out and present the truth of Scripture to them, why is their relationship with the world world antithetical? They hated Jesus. We are not of this world. they do not know God. It fulfills god 's will, and their sin is exposed. So imagine with me, if you 're a disciple up in the upper room at this exact moment, what are you probably thinking that the moment you exit stage left, the moment that Jesus dies that you 're going to experience persecution you 're going to experience conflict you 're going to experience uh, friction with the world. But what I love about Coach Jesus, okay, I'll say it that way, hopefully it's not blasphemous, but Coach Nick Saban, okay, Jesus at this exact moment tells them what to expect in verse 18 through 25, and then he tells them what to do about it. Verse 26, when the helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me and will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. I want to just reread that. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me, and so you will then boldly testify also, because you have been with me from the beginning." Who is the helper that we see in verse 26? What do they what should they do about the friction that they're going to experience from the world? They should be dependent upon the Spirit of God. The helper in verse 26 is the Spirit of Truth. That word helper there is the Greek word paraclete, which literally means a come alongsider. So the Spirit of God that God sent to us comes alongside us to help us do what? And you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. Now word testify is where we get the word martyr. The Holy Spirit will come to give us strength so that we will testify in the face of persecution. So within the context of John chapter 13 through 17, what does the Holy Spirit do for us? It teaches us, it helps us remember truth, John chapter 14, and helps us testify to the truth. It helps us be bold to it. Friends, we should expect conflict with the world. This is the truth. And if we aren't experiencing conflict with the truth or with the world, then are we living lives that are different? But in, in the same time that we will experience conflict with the world because of our moralism, because of Jesus Christ, because we are no longer of this world, what should we do? We should be dependent upon the Spirit. What is Jesus doing? In a sense, I'm going to summarize this whole passage. Is this making, He's making his disciples aware of the future so they understand why they face persecution, to be bold in the face of persecution, and to be dependent, testifying of Christ in the face of persecution. Now let me talk to you. What do I want you to do? I just want to share with you four principles. Number one principle for us as Christians, number one, that we should expect opposition. Friends, when the opinions of others matter more to us than the opinion of God, then we are in trouble. We should live lives that are considered by the world standards a little bit weird. Why? Because we are not of the world, that we are born again, that we are transformed, that we are new creations, that we are children of God and heirs with Christ. We are, have a new status, a new being. We have been born again, We are different. that the moment you believe in Jesus Christ, there is something that takes place that is far beyond rational human beings can understand that the Spirit of God changes our lives forever, uh, forever. He calls us out of the darkness to be light in the world but not lights of the world that we should expect friction from from people at our work we should expect frustration from those we go to school with we should expect to be considered weird by our unsaved family members can anybody can anybody relate to that one i'm sure some of your family members in this room if you are a born again christian they are not they probably thought think that you have fallen off your rocker and that's okay don't hide be different you are lights you are meant to stand out. You are meant to have conflict. You are meant to have that. Don't hide. Don't blend. Be different. So number one is to expect opposition. Number two is to be different. That we don't hide behind the, the opinions of other people, but we live lives that are righteous and holy. Principle number three to living life in a hostile world is that we should be daring. As I've already mentioned, the Spirit of God in John chapter 15, verses 26 through 27, gives us the ability, comes alongside us, it gives us the ability to testify, to be martyrs, to testify about the gospel of Jesus Christ in the face of persecution. And then principle number four to living a life in a hostile world is that we should be dependent. That through the blood of Jesus Christ, not only are we saved, but we have the permanent dwelling of the Holy Spirit and I believe that we kind of do this thing in churches. We have this elevation of Jesus Christ as our Savior. We kind of have this as the Father, and then we kind of have this as the Spirit. Because we really don't understand it. But we should be dependent upon the Spirit. If you are dependent upon the Spirit, what should we do? The Spirit teaches us all things. He helps us remember truth, and he helps us be bold in the face of persecution. So what I want, what should we do? In our antithetical relationship to God, we should expect opposition, be different, be daring, and be dependent. Before I close, I share this every Sunday morning, and I still have some time left, so I'm going to do this. I do not know if this is the last time that you will ever come to Calvary Bible Church, which is why I share the gospel every Sunday morning. And if it has become old news to you, then I'm sorry, but I'm going to do it anyways. Romans chapter 3, this is the process of the gospel. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified, being meaning to be declared innocent as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a satisfaction in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over our sins previously, currently, and forever committed. What did I just say? That you and I are sinners, amen? That we make mistakes, That we are imperfect, and that we cannot earn our way into the presence of a perfect God. So that's why God, the Father, sent His Son to be the satisfaction, to be the payment of our sin. That if we would believe in Jesus Christ, if we would trust in Him, and that we we would believe in Him as Lord and Savior, that we would be changed, that we would be born again, that we would be called out of darkness into light. That we would uh, become children of God, heirs of Christ. That If you have at one time or another thought that you believed in Jesus Christ, but you had no life change, you are not a believer in Jesus Christ. Can I say that again? If you at one particular time believed in Jesus Christ, but there was no change in your life, then you are not a believer in Jesus Christ. Because you are different now. If you have never surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, then believe in him, and you shall be saved. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Trust in the Lord. Believe. Be changed. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, um, today was a little bit different of a talk. It's not one that we really like to hear about the persecution and the the view of the world towards us. But Lord, we should be aware of it. We should understand why and how. Why the world looks at us differently and how we should respond to it. Lord, I pray that we would be bold, living lives that testify of Christ. Lord, that we would not hide behind the opinions of other people. That we would have more fear of you than we do of the world. Lord, I pray that we would just live holy and righteous lives, lives that are different, lives that are changed, lives that are born again. And Lord, thank you for Calvary Bible Church. I do pray for all those that are sick. There are a lot of people out today, just with COVID and various illnesses. Lord, I just pray for protection from them. Give them encouragement in this time, give them comfort. I thank you for this church. Man, I I love this church. It is my church. I've been here for almost 30 years. Lord, thank you for our devotion to you and your word. And I just pray that we would be bold and, and live lives that are glorifying to you in all we do. We lift this up to you in Jesus' name. Amen.